There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in town at Grand Spike We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season. It's uh, Covering this case, this Idaho case, is such a, uh, a sad case to cover when we realize there's four young people that won't be around for the holidays and their families will be struggling with the holidays. Uh, without their their son, their, do- their daughters. It's it's just a horrific case. There's, this case has not been without uh, a lot of controversy. And I think that um, those of us have, that have been in law enforcement or in law enforcement, the fact that there hasn't been an arrest in a month is not uh, so surprising to us. We understand the nature of investigation we understand um, what it takes, and we understand that this happens. And it's almost that the media is just, I mean, they are going crazy, basically, that there's no arrest. And they want to know information that law enforcement doesn't want to put out there. They want to keep this information close to the vest. And because they're doing that, uh, the frust- you can see the frustration on the faces of those in the media. Um, the Goncalves the family, um, the parents of Kaylee Goncalves, who they're insisting um, was targeted in this case, and we don't know if that's true or not, but the family is really, really struggling a great deal. They hired an attorney, and just the other day he was on uh, News Nation with uh, Chris Cuomo. And I just want to put a little bit of this interview on there just so you can see some of the frustration I I would guess that's coming, well, not guess, it's coming from their family and potentially the other families of the lost students. Let me play a little bit of this. This is Chris Cuomo interviewing the attorney for the the Gonsalves family. We don't know. We don't know what happened to these four students at this Idaho college, but we do know they were brutally murdered. We just don't know how, we don't know by whom, and we still don't understand why. Now, there has been a development. The attorney for one of the victim's families, Kaylee Gonsalves, uh, the family believes that she was specifically targeted, that she was dealt with differently uh, by the murderer, that they believe that there's forensic evidence of that, and they want answers. And they had a meeting with a list of questions. And what happened, it's very disturbing to them. Let's see how you feel about it. Right now is attorney Shannon Gray represents the family. It's good to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. So what was your overall take of what happened at the meeting with authorities? Well, we started the meeting when we went in. We had the Latah County prosecutor was there. Chief Fry was there from the Moscow Police Department. The two lead investigators. One of the lead investigators is an officer, Payne. Uh, the other one was the Idaho State Police. And we went in with really a theme about accountability and communication. Um, part of it was 
the accountability aspect of it is asking a lot of hard questions about why they made the decisions they've made regarding the investigation. And the communication aspect of it is really the, the poor communication that they've had with the families. Now, the you know this, you're a pro. Uh, the obvious pushback is, hey, hey, look, we're doing our best. We're totally overwhelmed. Everybody makes mistakes. Um, we're going to tell you information when we have it. We don't have it. Why doesn't that cut the mustard with you on this? Well, a lot of the decisions they've made, um, you know, from the get go, we still get more and more information every day about mishaps or missteps that I think the investigation has made. You know, one of the questions we asked when we went in was, why not within the tw first 24 to 48 hours, release some information about we're looking for someone that may have missed work that may have uh, come in with, you know, injuries to their forearms or their hands, things like that. It's a small, small community. Um, people that have taken a vacation immediately, things like that, that, that normal things that may be abnormal to people that live in the community and getting that out. Um, and they said they didn't do it because of an investigative reasons. You know, it's, it's the lack of consistency throughout. You have the. You know, folks, it seems almost like uh, even with this attorney that the family thinks that they should run the investigation and that's not the case, you know, and I respect the Moscow police for keeping certain things quiet and not giving up their investigative strategy. But, you know, you do. And, and look, we admittedly said right from the beginning, there was poor communication because the communication was coming from too many different areas. Early on in this case, the mayor made a statement. Then the prosecutor made a statement. The coroner made a statement. All statements, all communication should be coming out of the office of the police department or a representative from that police department. But I, I sort of get a little crazy about this, that no, the, the family and the media doesn't run this investigation and they, they dem they're demanding things. Look, one of the things, I, and I, the only thing I can compare it to, of course, is my experience in the NYPD. They had an office of the deputy commissioner of public information, and they would have a spokesperson that would be fed information from the chief of the detective's office of information that we felt could uh, go out there without compromising the investigation. And many times I felt, and I obviously wasn't the, the one who made the decisions on this, that they gave too much information out to the press. However, you can never lose the power of you're the police and you're running this investigation. You can't let other people tell you how you should be running it and what you should be doing. Better communication? Absolutely. The Art Betke, the mayor, who says it's a crime of passion uh, from the get-go, and then you have the Latah County prosecutor talk, talking about the targeting aspect, and then the next day Chief Fry walks back on that. You have the coroner who is making all types of, giving out all types of information, making personal phone calls to the family. And when we were in the meeting, the lead investigator, Officer Payne, didn't even know that the coroner had spoken with the families. Hey, thank you for watching. So that's exactly what I was talking about, that uh, there is really, they cannot have uh, information and conflicting information coming out from all different areas and all different um, 
folks in this investigation, the information has to come out from one location. And it, it just can't, it, it just can't be. Now, this is the biggest thing that they have let get out there. Uh, and it, that is the hunt for this Hyundai uh, 2011 to 2013 Elantra. Now, based on the importance they're putting on this, I'm I'm betting that it's not, um, they're not looking for witnesses. This this is the perp's car, or they believe this is the perpetrator's car. And this is the car that he or she used, or they used to get away uh, the night that this occurred. So it's so, so important. So they're expanding the search. And that is one of the things I think they're being uh, criticized about also is that why has this taken so long for you to collect the video along the possible escape route of this vehicle? If that was spotted, and I, there's no confirmation from the police department that they had this a day after the murders, but if that's the case, shouldn't this video have been collected much earlier? That's the questions that we all, we all have through the records of 22,000 white Hyundai Elantras, hunting for the vehicle linked to the murders of the four college students. Investigators are appealing for help, finding the 2011 to 2013 model like this one seen near the house the night of the murders. Hey, maybe your neighbor has one in the garage that they don't drive very often. Maybe um, the, there's one that's just not on the registration database. Let us know. Police elevated the importance of the search today, saying the driver or passengers have critical information about the murders. One intriguing fact, with the white Elantra, the focus of so much national attention, why hasn't the owner come forward? Nancy Grace thinks that's suspicious. The driver has not come forward. I find this amusing. The driver has not come forward because he's the perp. Why would he come forward? I mean... It's it's actually laughable that she said that. The driver has not come forward. Well, because he's waiting to get caught and he's because he's he's the perpetrator. He's not gonna surrender. <laughs> Unbelievable. Why? They know we're looking for them. The white car is believed to have been caught on a security camera at this gas station in Moscow, Idaho at 3.45 a.m. the night of the murders. ABC News is reporting the car was traveling at high speed and took this route past the gas station, then turning left down a side street, presumably going in the direction of the victim's house, 1.2 miles away. And the manager of a vape store is verifying reports that one of the victims, Kaylee Gonzalez, was being stalked. I spoke with News Nation's Brian Enton, who broke the story. What did the vape store manager tell you about Kaylee? Kaylee and Maddie and a group of friends came into the vape store three weeks before the murders, that they were in a group and that he referenced, oh, you guys are always in a group together, and that they said, yes, that's because... We're concerned uh, because Kaylee uh, has had someone following her around. Police spokesman Robbie Johnson confirmed detectives are investigating the manager's claims. Definitely looking into any reports of a stalker or, or that type of behavior around any of the victims. So, folks, initially they had uh, two alleged stalkers that they, they found 
they interviewed and they 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 cleared them. And I hate to use that term cleared because in an investigation such as this, no one is ever a hundred percent cleared until the um the case is is uh, brought to you know conclusion. There's an arrest. Uh so I hate to use that term, but what we're looking at um right now, of course, is this car is the biggest lead that they possibly have. Um, I want to show you Brian Enton uh, and News Nation with Ashley Banfield put it up there, possibly possible escape routes of, of the killer or killers. Uh, I think it's somewhat interesting. Let, let me play this and uh, we'll discuss it afterwards. Put it up on the screen here has been that the killer approached the student's house from the front and then walked around the back where well they might have slipped through the sliding glass door or that kitchen window but what if that assumption is just backwards what if the killer actually approached the house from the backyard that is effectively a a hill and a wooded area that would provide a heck of a lot of cover even in the broad daylight and if the killer then escaped the same way out well, they could have easily slipped through those trees and climbed their way back up onto a street called Walenta Drive, where a getaway car could easily, easily have been waiting. So uh, I asked Brian Enton to test out the theory, and he's back with me now live. A lot of times it's been hard for people to get that, that view because, you know, it's, it's a crime scene tape. You can't just wander around. But you have had a chance to get a really good look at this, haven't you? Yeah, and it's hard to get back there. There's an apartment complex. Uh, honestly, the apartment manager has been, uh, you know, not in the best of moods with everybody around, but we kind of became friendly with her and we've been able to go back there. Um, and it's not as wooded as you think. I mean, you've seen the aerial pictures and it's not as steep as you would think. We were able to get back there and see if you could actually get up to that other neighborhood and road. Uh, and we're going to show you that uh, in a couple of minutes, Ashley. Okay, good. Don't go anywhere. I have to fit in this quick break, Brian. But um, when we come back, um, we're going to show you Brian's attempt to make it up from the back of the house, up the hill, through the trees, to where a car could possibly have been waiting. Could that have been the hidden route for the killer to get away without a trace? Brian's going to put the theory to a test and show you just how easy it actually was to make that clean getaway. That's next. I'm going to show that in a... In a uh right after their break. But uh, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you like Real Crime Stories podcast from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. If you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have your YouTube channel memberships. You see the folks in the green font they're part of our YouTube channel members, and we really appreciate them. And they've been supporting uh, Police Off the Cuff. You know, folks, I can't, uh, I can't pretend that I'm not like everyone else and frustrated that there hasn't been an arrest in this case. I am. I am frustrated. And I pray every single day that someone is arrested in this case and that they come up with that that smoking gun, as I call it, piece of evidence that points directly towards a person. We're at the, you know, the four to six week mark where we would expect a lot 
of the forensic evidence to come back, the tests on the blood, the commingled blood, the hairs, the fibers, all of that physical evidence. Some of the physical evidence, of course, was taken during autopsy. Wouldn't we love to know, is there perpetrator DNA on any of the victims? We spoke about many times, and if you listen to Duty Ron, he's had Ed Wallace on, probably the best crime scene guy, definitely the best crime scene guy on YouTube, probably one of the best crime scene guys in the nation. And I know that every channel would love to make him a talking head, but he's, he's not interested. So if we followed some of the things that he said in regards to the forensic evidence, we would hope that some of that, that could there be DNA underneath the fingernails of some of the victims? Transfer evidence from the perpetrator on the bodies of the victims. And at the four to six week mark, we would expect some of this forensic evidence to be coming back. And that's in a homicide investigation. We don't expect, but we hope and pray sometimes that when we don't have a suspect, that forensic evidence could come back and give us that slam dunk DNA that points to a very specific person. And that's what we are all hoping for. And so far, Obviously, they don't have it, or we we would have heard about it. And um, but patience, patience, it could still happen. We're used to seeing Brian Enton at the front of the house on King Road, updating us on the investigation. But today, Brian, you spent some time actually behind the house, testing the theory that the killer might have actually approached the crime scene and escaped from the back, maybe even hopping into a getaway car that he conveniently maybe parked on the street behind all those trees. So take me there. Yeah, actually, there are ways to get away from the back of the house, which we learned today. Um, take a look. We went up earlier today in the daylight so you could get, get a better view. Okay, so we are at the back of the house where the murders happened. This is the house right here. You can see the police line is still up. I've shown you this parking lot before. There's this big parking lot right behind because uh, there's an apartment building right over there. Uh, but we wanted to show you uh, what's even further back behind the house. So follow me. You walk to the back. Uh, of the parking lot over here to the very back corner um, and there's this trail right here and you can tell that other people have walked on it before because the snow is packed down and there's footprints so possibly students walking up to the neighborhood up above come around the trail here it sort of loops around right by the backyard through the trees right here um, to this fence line and basically the little trail continues to loop around i don't want to go in the backyard of the people who live back here but we'll show you what's on the other side okay so we're up on the road back behind the house this house behind me that path that i showed you uh, that path connects to the backyard of this house and there's really a whole other neighborhood up here we're going to show you um i'm going to get in the car and drive you up And just show you what, what's up up here because it's interesting, you know, you've got the neighborhood down below where the apartments are, the college students, um, but up here. You know, folks, one of the things that we all have to realize is that the killer or killers could have parked the car further away, a quarter mile, a half mile away and walked to the car 
and potential could they have been a getaway driver? That's a potentiality also. So we have to keep an open mind on this. Someone said in the chat when I was talking about the forensic evidence, could it be a possibility that the killer wore something over his clothing? Like, you know, when police don't want to get blood on them, they wear what's called a Tyvek suit. That's those white suits. And they have the little booties that cover your shoes and there's a hood. And you can basically cover all your clothing with it so that you don't bring biological evidence uh, home to your family. Could the killer be doing the same exact thing? Uh, you know, possibly. I never found killers to be that smart that they would think of doing that. But is that a possibility? Yes, and someone in the chat put PPE, and it's called personal protection equipment. And usually it consists of a Tyvek suit. We wore those suits uh, when we responded to the World Trade Center. Once they got all the equipment together, we could actually protect our bodies. For a while, uh, we had nothing. We had our own clothing down there. And um, is it a possibility that the killer or killers did that? Yeah, it's a possibility. I think that that would, you know, of course we know that this was a premeditated killings. We know that because the perpetrator brought the knife with him. We know that from the autopsies and the forensic evidence that was left behind. So could the killer have thought ahead and covered his clothing with something like a Tyvek suit. Absolutely. If you came up that path, um, you could have parked up here somewhere, pan this way and show you, and you come around this corner, um, there's an intersection here. That's a dead end street that way. This way is not a dead end street. This is Ridge Road. So we'll lend to drive we were on. This is Ridge Road. You see there's a whole other neighborhood up here, a ton of houses. Um, and that area down below connects to this whole area up here. So you saw, Ashley, go up that path. It connects to that other yard that I showed you. Uh, and then you've got a whole, a whole other area up there, a lot of places you could park and a lot of ways to get out. I have two questions for you. One is how quickly could you have made it from, say, the back kitchen sliding glass door out through the backyard and through sort of those woods and the trail up to Wallenda Road where you were just driving. Will was with me. What would you say? A minute? Maybe a minute. But there's a, also a, snow. a minute. There's also snow. Uh, maybe a minute. 45 seconds to a minute if you were really going fast, I would say. Well, there's snow now, but there wasn't so much snow back then, right? It was pretty good footing at that point, point as well. Then the other yeah. question, it looked to me, and I've only got 10 seconds here, but it looked like it was a perfect place to park a car, dark, no ring cameras anywhere. Nobody would notice anything if a car was parked up there for a killer to go down and do what so he needs to do. Real quick, there is a ring camera up there, one of the houses. I went and tried to find out if it was new or old. The, the owner didn't want to talk about it, but there are some ring cameras up there. So um, hopefully police have checked. Well, certainly that dark, uh, you know, in the dark, that looked like it was pretty remote. It was a treed area that, you know, would have been easy to be driving around without anybody seeing you park and, and take your, you know, take your leave. Brian, thank you. Excellent. So we see that's the immediate, the area surrounding the house escape route. But when we talk about, um, you know, the escape route, of the, the larger escape route of the car, which is what they're trying to do now. They're expanding the search for this white Elantra. Uh, 
They're also expanding their search. We spoke about in uh, New York, we have the DMV, the Duty Run did a show uh, in regards to that with a, a retired NYPD auto crime detective. And we also have a pretty good investigators from the Department of Motor Vehicle. So there is a way that we can search through the Department of Motor Vehicle white Elantras of a specific year and find out how many are registered in a specific area. In this area, I think that the chief was talking about uh, there was there's like 22,000 of these vehicles. Now, I think you can narrow that down a little better. Uh, through using the Department of Motor Vehicle, using something we have in New York called the Lawman Search, where they can search for certain vehicles. But it's you don't have. To, I mean, you, you don't have to search for twenty two thousand cars. I mean, you can you can you you can sort of break it down a little bit through maybe in that specific. Uh, area of Moscow and the surrounding areas. However, there is a good possibility that this car came from further away. Uh, someone asked in the chat before, what is my gut in regards to the amount of people that... Uh... Duty Ron says Detective Tommy um, from the NYPD Auto Crime Division stated that 75% of murders include the use of a motor vehicle. That's interesting, Duty Ron. And one of the reasons it's so interesting is that you remember during all, I don't want to get political, but during all the defund the police stuff, there were actually municipalities and cities that wanted to stop cops from doing car stops. Imagine that. If you did that, you would basically not be able to capture anyone who was fleeing from a robbery, from a murder, from a horrendous crime if you precluded the cops from doing car stops. So really ill thought of, but I just thought I would mention that since you put that statistic up there, that 75% of, of murders, the, the perpetrator escapes in a vehicle. Um, yes, uh, just mind, mind, <laughs> mind baffling that they could come up with something like that. You know, folks, th so the biggest thing right now we're all talking about is this car. and. The search for this car, and I know everyone thinks that, uh, look, undoubtedly, this small neighborhood of Moscow, uh, this neighborhood of Idaho, I'm a little bit surprised to hear that they don't have as much like neighborhood surveillance as we have in New York City. In New York City, I guess because of 9-11 and after 9-11, they really upped their game with this. They have almost modeled after London, which has the Ring of Steel. And London, of course, put all that camera system in after they had a terrorist subway attack. So, But New York City has cameras everywhere. And in addition, we have these things called license plate readers. And they are in strategic places around the city. And in addition to that, they are on, they are in RMPs, which is a radio car, Radio Motor Patrol, that stands for, it's a cop lingo. They're in RMPs, and so they're mobile. So cops can patrol and search all around license plates, and they read license plates, thousands of license plates, and they tell us who's in that vehicle. 
Apparently, Moscow, Idaho doesn't have this type of surveillance. Even homeowners, um, where I live, even in, in Westchester, many people have ring cameras and other types of cameras on their home. And it's very, very common. You know, you hear about porch thieves and all this other type of stuff. So people are arming themselves with this extra layer of security. And um, I think it's it's very effective because when the police go searching uh, for video, they can go to homeowners in addition to business owners. So it, it's a very, very uh, important thing. Um, you know, a lot of folks have also asked about, and I'd be... Um, I'd be interested to know the answer to this. All, all the victims of this murder, they were in what, what we'd call um, Greek life, right? Ethan Chapin, Zena Canodal, Madison Morgan, and Kaylee Gon Gonsalves on the screen now, the University of Idaho that's known, uh, they're, they're uh, known as the Vandals, their sports teams, and that's, school is known as but they were all part of what is known as greek life fraternities and sororities which is a big part of the social life of a lot of kids when they go to college and it keeps them involved it keeps them um with us with a group of people um but i would like to know if all the members of both the sorority and the fraternity the fraternities that they were involved in have been interviewed. That would have definitely been one of the main things. I would have uh, did that right away. And I know that would take a great deal of manpower to do that. And guess what? If you started interviewing the fraternity and they lawyered up and they said they don't want to be interviewed, you'd have to stop. However, I would have started to do it. I You can only, you can get information, uh, really important information. When you want to ask personal information about your son or your daughter, the police, you know, usually the parents aren't the ones that are going to have that information. It's your son or your daughter's best friend. Uh, someone in the chat, Jennifer started Moscow does not have all these cameras. It is not that type of town. People do not lock their doors there. When we travel into Moscow, we have always felt safe enough to never even lock our car doors. Jennifer, thank you so much for that uh, comment. And it's a different world, though. You know, it's a different world we live in. And places like Moscow, which are safe as hell, and they hadn't had up until November 13th, 2022, they hadn't had a murder in seven years. So, of course you're going to feel safe. And I would think other index crimes were very rare. You know, it was a big college campus in which 2,000 people are employed at. So, of course, the college is a big part of the community and, and a big part of feeling the safety inside the community. But I think that we are now used to it, and I use the term post-9-11, of all of this sort of accepted surveillance that's out there that uh that we're seeing these these cameras because it makes people feel much safer 
Sweet P, thank you so much for the 999 super chat. Uh, and thank you for that compliment. Thank you for your insight. You know, I um I like that certain people that are content creators uh on YouTube, I like the experienced investigators. I really do the duty runs out there. Um, a lot of people that have done this type of work before because we're not shocked. A lot of times when I, I, I really cringe when I he, hear media saying, we're shocked that there's no arrest in a month. Well, have you ever investigated a murder before? No, you haven't. So stop being shocked and understand the process. You know, there is a process to this stuff. Uh, and stop being shocked, <laughs> you know. And I think that what we need to do as the community of Moscow and everyone who's watching this case from near and from far is we need to support the police and especially the community. The community really needs to support the police. And if you, you know, there's that old expression, it's also a post 9-11 expression. If you see something, say something. And that is so, so, so important, especially in a situation like this, uh, Sicily, New York, parents never know what's going on in our relationships. As a mom, I knew little about my daughter or son's involvement with their significant other. I later found out dangerous drug abuse was a part. Uh, Sicily, thank you so much for that. And I hope that everything has worked out with your, um, about your, with your daughter. And I, I, I know from being an investigator and finding out potentially horrendous things about kids that were 16 and 17 years old, things that you found out in the first hours of an investigation. And then when you ask the parents, they had no clue, no idea. Oh, my little daughter doesn't do drugs or my daughter doesn't have a boyfriend. And then you find out she's got boyfriends all over the place, you know? So, to, again, not to beat a dead horse, but to totally know what's going on, you really need to speak to friends, not to um, not to the family, because the family's not going to know the inside relationships that's going on and the day-to-day -day life of their son, their daughter. Look, my I have two sons. They both went to college, and... I didn't know all their personal stuff, you know, but, and they, they would tell me what they wanted me to know and certain things I would find out, you know, like, of course, I mean, it even came to it in college. If you called up the school and asked about your kid's grades, oh, we're not allowed to tell you that. I'm the guy who pays this. I'm the guy who pays the bill. What do you mean you're not allowed to tell me that? Oh, your son would have to sign a release. I used to laugh at that, you know, as, 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 Every six months, I would send them twenty-one or twenty-two thousand dollars to pay the semester bill, but I wasn't allowed to know his grades. To me, that was that was almost hilarious, and I think all it's almost like healthcare and HIPAA laws that you can't find out about certain things unless you're the person uh, or there's some kind of release. But it was the same thing with colleges; they wouldn't even tell you your son or daughter. Uh, their grades. Um, Mickey Mantle, Bill, strange similarities to the Amityville murders. Both occurred on November 13th. The Amityville house number was 112 Idaho House, 
is one one two two. Could this be Amity? Nah, I don't, that's the guy who Ronald DeFeo was the person who was arrested for that, and I, I would imagine he he's in prison for the rest of his life since he killed his entire family. Uh, that was back when they actually sentenced people to life in prison and made them stay there. You know, uh, Jennifer started. Law enforcement in Moscow, Idaho are the best people you could ever come across. They are not the negligent or lazy type whatsoever. Jennifer, I thank you for telling me that. And I, I never accused them of being that. I think what's happening in this investigation is that the media is so frustrated with there not being instantaneous information that they're they're pointing the finger at law enforcement and they're saying, oh my God. Why is there no arrest right now? There must be something wrong with this investigation. Now, the the search for this vehicle, this Hyundai Elantra 2011 to 2013, has expanded to areas outside of Moscow. And let's play a little bit of this. And we're wondering, do the police have reason in this investigation to expand this search? Or is it just a hunch? Of, of Moscow trying to find clues. So uh, that's somewhat of a development today. We're going to be joined right now by Fox News multimedia reporter Jake Karalexis outside of the police station there in Moscow. Uh, so, Jake, they've expanded their search. Why? Well, Andrew, uh, they believe that valuable evidence could possibly be uh, in an area outside of Moscow and investigators have been asking for surveillance video in Troy, which is about 12 miles east of Moscow, and Kendrick, which is another 12 miles about roughly from Troy. And a gas station employee in Troy said police asked him for surveillance video, but his store didn't have a camera facing outside. And we're gonna show you some video that was shot near Phil's Family Foods last night in Kendrick, Police reportedly asked the store for surveillance video from November 12th through November 14th. And the murders of those four University of Idaho students happened on the morning of November 13th. So far, there's been nothing in those videos to help police. But Moscow police say that obtaining as much video as possible is their best bet at making a breakthrough. Just consider how much video there is to collect and what you would think of to do, and that's what they're doing. Any surveillance video we have is definitely part of what is moving us forward as far as progressing in the investigation. And Andrew, police today say they're still looking for the occupants of that white 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra that was spotted near the scene on the night of those murders. And police say there are over 20,000 registered cars in Washington State and Idaho fitting into that criteria. And they're getting tips on that Elantra from across the country. Andrew. So Jake, uh, I don't know if you can offer any reporting on this. Fox News and Fox News Digital uh, have been kind of providing uh, us windows into, you know, the thinking of some of these grieving parents. Uh, and they're quite upset uh, with the lack of information uh, that the police have been providing. Uh, and so there's been a lot of testy and fiery rhetoric from them. No doubt they are experiencing something they never thought they would be experiencing. 
Um, ha have we heard from any of the parents or the family and friends of some of these victims in the last, what, week? So, Andrew, I have not heard from any of the parents or friends of the victim. Did talk to some students on campus this week before they left for winter break who are feeling a little better, a little, you know, safer uh, with this, uh, what they say is an isolated incident over a month out. At least that's what they're hoping. But um, the parents have been saying some things and it's just been a slow trickle of information coming out within the last day or so. We've learned more about the car with those with that 20,000 registered cars that fit into the criteria of what they're looking for. Again, today talking about police expanding their search. It's just little baby steps in this investigation. We'll see if there's anything that leads to a breakthrough coming up in the next few days. You know, folks, some of you have been talking uh, about um, the fact that you wouldn't a small community like uh, Moscow, 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 Idaho doesn't have cameras and doesn't want them. But you know something, I just want to remind everybody in this 21st century world we live in, we have all given up our privacy. So if that's the reason you're saying you don't want cameras and you you'll you don't want to trade safety for privacy, I'll ask each and every one of you, do you have a cell phone? And I would expect 99% of you do. You've just given up all your privacy if you own a cell phone. You really have. You're tracked everywhere. Are you on Facebook? You've given up all your privacy. Are you on TikTok, owned by the Chinese? You've given up all your privacy. Are you on Google? Do you order things on Amazon? Now, And you're worried about cameras? They have everything on you. Put your name in Google. See if your address comes back. Right? So when you talk about it, sort of makes me laugh. Do you have Easy Pass on your car? A convenience, right? You ever pull up to a toll booth? Well, most places now, the toll booths aren't manned toll booths, but in some places they still are. You ever pull up to a toll booth and in the, the lane that has a human being in it, is two miles long, and you think, oh, thank God I have Easy Pass because now I can just drive right to here. So is Easy Pass tracking you? You bet, you bet, right? So all when you and when you say, oh, we don't want cameras, I, I, that sort of makes me laugh, you know. Uh, and again, you may think that it's a privacy issue, but it's also a safety issue, you know. And in this case. They're trying to search cameras, video cameras, and they've just expanded the search to, you know, it's so sophisticated in some areas, and maybe you don't want that. You know, maybe you don't want that. So I, I can understand that. But in this day and age, there is nothing that's private anymore, you know. Uh, you know, Facebook sells your information actually sells it. So it makes me laugh when people say, I don't want cameras. I want my privacy. Okay. Then maybe you should give up all that other stuff if you really want your privacy because you don't have any privacy. You know, and Jake, I also had a quick question. Maybe, uh, you know, when you see some law enforcement officials there in Moscow, you can maybe ask them, you know, we're, we're now a month removed or a little more than a month removed uh, since the stabbings took place. Uh, you know, for them, I'm curious, why do you think it took so long 
uh, to maybe, you know, come up with these ideas of, you know, surveillance video in the area from nearby gas stations, other establishments to go and collect that. What do you make of that? Well, Andrew, what police have said this week is that there's just a flood of tips and information coming into them every day that they have to sort through. They have to kind of figure out, you know, what is a good tip and and what isn't and separate that on the good tips, try to follow those. So it's just that flood of information coming in that they're trying to sort through and then figuring out slowly, okay, where are we looking? Do we need to look more outside of Moscow? Can we look at that gas station? Can we look at Phil's Family Foods where they might have something? We saw the other day that a gas station here in Moscow had an image of what looked like a white sedan, similar description to the car that police have been asking the public for information for for several days. So it's kind of organizing all of the information that they have coming in and figuring out what the next steps exactly are that they need to take. All right, Jake Karalexis there live for us in Moscow. Jake, we're going to be checking in uh, a little bit later tonight, uh, so we'll talk again. Thanks. Okay, in the meantime, uh, we do want to let you watch and listen to uh, the latest update put out by Moscow law enforcement officials on their YouTube uh, and Facebook pages. Uh, it's about a minute 30, uh, but it has kind of what Jake was describing about the you know voluminous number uh, of pieces of data and information that they are pouring over to try to get a break in this case. Let's listen. Students are returning home for winter break. Does that present challenges for the investigation? I think it's always a little bit of a challenge. Um, we went through this, you know, right after uh, Thanksgiving and all that, but uh, we have investigators all across the nation. We have investigators all across the state with the state police and the FBI. So we'll adapt to that and we'll continue to do our investigation. What about investigators? Can they keep up this investigative pace over the holidays? We will continue to keep up this pace. Um, you know, we're giving individuals time off when they need it. Uh, we're augmenting other people into those spots so that the investigation continues, but we're not going to stop investigating this. What kind of progress has been made regarding the search for information about the white Hyundai Elantra? We have looked at um, massive amounts of um, video footage, especially in the critical camera areas. And um, we looked at the 24 hours prior to and 24 hours after of those. And now we're look, extending that out even further to other cameras and other time, time frames. What kind of manpower does it take to really deal with all of the, the video coming in and the tips? We have massive amounts of people looking at this. Um, multiple um, different groups looking at the different videos in different locations just because um, you know we have investigators all across the nation that are um, reviewing these videos for us and sending us back information on that. Okay that was Moscow Police Chief James Fry there uh, with a very very brief update on you know what some of the uh, procedures uh, in the investigation look like going forward. Uh, I just want to put up this map yet again that we referenced uh, in Jake Karalexis's report uh, about how the search has been now expanded, somewhat uh, of a 30 mile radius there uh, as investigators uh, are you know, asking uh, for surveillance video in both of these locations. They're in Kendrick, Idaho, uh, south of Troy. Uh, they're looking for surveillance video from a Phil's Family Foods so, folks, all of this uh, is, is super, super important. Uh, 
uh, and they've expanded it, of course. And someone brought up the point, the good point in the uh, chat before. Um, what if this vehicle's a stolen vehicle? Well, if it's a stolen vehicle, uh, wouldn't there be a good potential that it would turn up, that the killer or killers would dump it somewhere? Unless it's parked in some garage, but then it would it would turn up some way. But good point, uh, Midnight Baker. Um, I just want to bring up um, police off the cuff. Do you think people are frustrated with investigation due to how this town has handled it with public versus the same investigation being conducted in New York or Chicago and their experience with the public? I think that you know. What really hurt this investigation in the beginning was very, very, very poor messaging. And it continued for weeks. Um, never in a major investigation such as this should multiple agencies uh, be making public statements. That really hurts the investigation. In this case, we had A, the mayor. Early on, he, he said, this is targeted and personal. And no one has anything to worry about. Where did he get that from? And where did he get the idea that it was okay for him to say that? Very, very poor messaging. Then we had uh, with the coroner. The coroner putting out information. And then we also had the prosecutor. So three different entities putting out conflicting information. And then the police had to walk everything back. And once you put something out there, it's very, very difficult to walk it back, to say, oh, they shouldn't have said that. We didn't mean that. That's not what we think. Well, people start, um, they lose faith in, in the police department. They lose faith in the investigation. You know, I we can't compare the NYPD to Moscow because we have 40,000 cops and the detective bureau has, you know, thousands and thousands of detectives and bosses and personnel. So we can get the personnel that we need, you know? So uh, if they really had this car the day after uh, the murders, this information should have absolutely put out there and they should have started searching. And I don't know if they did or didn't, but they should have started searching for video day one and perhaps got this information out there uh, day one, so that they could have gotten help from A, the media, and B, the community. But if they really waited two or three weeks, I think that was uh, not a good decision, whoever made that decision. Because, you know, you've heard it on my show and you've heard it on Duty Ron. The media can be your best friend or your biggest enemy, or both at the same time. So, Use the media. Use them to get that information out there uh, because you want the correct information out there. You don't want information out there that's going to hurt the investigation. And that can happen as we see the frustration on the media that there's no real new information other than this white Hyundai Elantra 2011 to 2013. They're not getting that smoking gun information that they want. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. It's free. Hit the subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. 
We have almost 1,300 people in the chat, and I'm, I don't know how many thumbs up, but let's get those thumbs up if you like the show. If you don't like it, don't give us a thumbs up. We also have a Patreon with three different levels, and we have a YouTube channel members. You see the folks in the green font. They're part of our YouTube channel members, and we, uh, we love our subs, our fans, our friends, and we appreciate them a great deal. So, folks, this is again this this is this is investigation, and they keep bringing up that that question, that term. Uh, is this going to be a cold case? Is this a cold case? No, this is not a cold case. This is not, and it's not going to become a cold case. They're working on this twenty four seven because they haven't named or or a, a suspect or as the media likes to call it a person of interest, that doesn't mean they're not working as hard as they can. They're, they're out there. They're working hard. They're doing their job. Uh, it's, you know, I, I just want to remind everyone, if everyone followed the Boston Marathon bombing uh, many years ago, and that case was solved through video, through cell phone video, that Folks that were at the marathon, they took video, and they took pictures, and the two bombers, the Zarnayev brothers, uh, Tamerlan and Zokar Zarnayev, they were caught on video with backpacks, and they were identified, and they used that combined with facial recognition technology to identify both of them. So could that help? In this case, well, we don't know who the perpetrator is, but... Uh, it could help in regards to finding this car, you know. Uh, Colleen, Kaylee's parents run to the news media and blab when law enforcement tells them anything. No wonder they don't get all the info. They are jeopardizing the investigation. Uh, you know, something, I think that is one of the reasons that law enforcement is not giving out all the information that somehow the parents are demanding because they don't want it out there. They don't want that information out there that, that they need to be secretive. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that the information is kept, as we say in law enforcement business, close to the vest. And, uh, we also understand that, uh, Steve Gonsalves, who is, is on the screen, the man on the on the, the right, he's uh he's in trauma, you know. He lost his little girl, you know. And um do we any of us know how we would react in a situation like that? I have to give him a pass on what he does just because I understand the trauma that uh Steve Gonsalves is in and uh not that I understand the pain he's in, and hopefully I'll never ever experience that or anyone else, but he's in pain. And uh, he may not be acting the way that we expect, you know, people to act. But how do, how do we expect people to act that just lost their daughter, you know, and three other students in a horrific uh, murder? Long gone from the chat. If they're saying they have so many tips, etc., to go through, that's consuming their time, then they need to call in more people to help with this investigation. You know, long gone, 
you're not wrong. I mean, they need to have as many people as necessary in this in this case, and hopefully, they um, they're doing that. You know, we've spoken numerous times. They have the FBI. Uh, they have the Idaho State Police. I'm sure they're reaching out to all kinds of investigative experts. Uh, they have all the toys and all of the resources um, that that the FBI has uh, has in their arsenal. Um, Agate, legal-minded friends, Karen Cole, I know it's so frustrating. I'm always trying to hide behind my doors, but still they've got my address and God knows who's checking on that. Agate, I'm not sure what you were referring to. Uh, Joe H., everything the investigators um, are doing now, they should have been doing weeks ago. Well, we don't know uh, specifically if they weren't doing it weeks ago. You know, uh, Jennifer started, I used to work as the assistant to a federal prosecutor. We worked with the FBI as well as state investigators. Law enforcement has to make sure that can be a solid conviction. It takes many months. Jennifer, you know something? You're so right. And no one talks about that, that they just can't. You know, people have just said they should drag this person in. They should drag that person in. They should take DNA from that person. They should print this person. You can do that if it's voluntary unless you have what's known as probable cause. And then you can get a search warrant to take someone's DNA against their will, or take someone's fingerprints. And we had said early on in this investigation, I would take DNA from every single person interviewed. If they volunteered, you have to ask them, would you give an exemplar? Would you give a DNA exemplar? Uh, and... That can be, they have to be asked. They're not going to, um, they're not going to just give it up, you know? And, you know, like the fraternity. I said early on, I would investigate every single person in that fraternity. And I shouldn't say investigate. I would interview every single person. Could the potential be there that they tried to do that and they lawyered up? I don't know that. I don't want to spread a rumor. But could they do that? Yeah. Yeah. But maybe in the spirit of cooperation, if they were asked, uh, if they were asked to give DNA to give fingerprints, maybe they would, but maybe they would not. You know. So uh, Paul Vest, can law enforcement bypass HIPAA laws? Perhaps the perpetrator has no criminal background, but may have alerted parents, educators of a potential capability toward violence or therapy in his youth. There's sort of uh, strict laws, and, and, you know, just like um, therapists can't just, there's confidentiality laws. I think that's what you're referring to. HIPAA laws with hospitals and the treatment, they're also very strict. And law enforcement can circumvent some of them through subpoena to get information with a subpoena. But that's up to a district attorney to issue the subpoena. So there's not without checks and balances. Um, uh, truth matters. College students from out of state do not have to register their vehicle in Idaho. If so, the car registration could be from anywhere. Whoever it was had to be familiar with Moscow. Truth matters. You're right. and But I want to also mention something else. Usually, most college campuses, if you're bringing a car on the college campus and you're a student, 
you have to register your car with security at that college. So that would be a way to narrow down the white Hyundai Elantras even quicker than going through, say, the Idaho State Department of Motor Vehicle. So um, good, good, uh, good thought. But th- that's another way that they could uh, that they could track it down. Um, Phil Farmantino, what an insane case going on a month now. Hope these kids get justice. Absolutely. I just want to go back to the uh, to the map of uh, of them expanding the search for this vehicle because that seems to be what they have and where they're at right now. Uh, from that store uh, on the night uh, of the murder when that happened, and then they're also looking for more information in Troy uh, as well, 12 miles east of Moscow uh, for surveillance video there. Uh, and we also just want to put up a statement from Moscow police, uh, you know, that accompanied this uh, video statement by Chief Fry today. They say, quote, after sorting through the majority of the digital content gathered from critical cameras during crucial times before and after the homicides took place, investigators continue to comb through hours and hours of digital content submitted by businesses, homes, and the public. The investigative pace will not slow down for the weekend or the holidays, and the departure of University of Idaho students returning home for winter break is not expected to cause any slowdown in the investigation. So, folks, that's uh, that's where we're at in this investigation right now. And I think that the most important thing right now that we're seeing is this white Hyundai Elantra. And that's what law enforcement is focusing their investigative efforts upon. However, however, that doesn't mean the investigation stops. There's still forensic evidence coming in all the time. There's still tips uh, in regards to a tip line. There's still all types of interviews going on. And uh, so, again, the car is the major focus right now. But this investigation is not going to stop. And this investigation... Uh, This investigation is not going to go cold. Um, easy like sun mourned. Police off the cuff, when you have a huge crowd of people filming an event, it's a good likelihood you will catch something. I don't think that applies here. Uh, easy like sun, uh, sun mourned. You're right, but it applies in the way that there's video uh, along a route that potentially a vehicle that was involved in this case may have fled the scene. So... It applies in that way. Folks, uh, I'm actually returning back to um, Florida this evening. I'm going to spend the holidays there. Well, my family's going to come down to Florida with me. First time, hopefully, uh, we'll be spending uh, Christmas in a warm climate, except I'm hearing that the temperature in Florida now is like 60 degrees. But I'm heading back there this this evening. Um, I want to thank all you guys, and I want to wish Every one of our uh, our friends, our subscribers, our fans have a wonderful holiday season, whether it's Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you're celebrating. I want you to have a wonderful holiday season, spend time with friends, family, loved ones, and give your, the ones you love a hug uh, and pray that uh, 
something good happens in this case. Guys, have a great day. God bless and happy holidays. One episode, just